Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Dennis, one of the pastors here, and I'm delighted to be with you today. And I want to thank you for your prayers of healing for me over the past week. I have felt those prayers, and I receive that in Jesus' name. I do have a little cough here, but you're going to pray, and you're going to help me through this today. I want to begin, before we jump into the Scripture today, with some crowd participation, just to make sure that you're wide awake and you're ready to receive and listen. And since most of the kids are back to school now, I want to ask you a series of questions to see who's in the house today. Here it is. How many here would say that you were an above average student in school? Come on, be honest. All A's, any all A's in here? Or just about all A's, maybe a B plus. Okay, come on, get your hands up. Smart people, we need you, all right? How many would say, put your hand down, how many would say you were an average student or a little above average, but B's, maybe a C here and there, come on, how many? Okay, many, many, many. How many would say school was not your thing? <laughs> yeah, okay, well, you're honest, it's an honest church. For me, it was all about the subject, history, uh, social studies, philosophy, right there. I love those classes. Math, not so much. <laughs> John Weiss is the pastor of Southland Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky, my wife's home church. Her sister's still part of that ministry. He was a fourth grade teacher before he became a pastor. And he said, one of the things that I always loved about teaching was giving kids tests that when they did not know the answer, they still would answer very creatively. <laughs> And so what he started to do is collect some of the answers that they would give in those moments when they did not know, and he said they were hilarious. And so I have heard him share these. These are his, but I thought today it'd be fun for you to see some of these from kids at school. Here's a test, and here are the answers. First of all, he asked a question, what ended in 1896? 1895. Well, he wasn't wrong, right? And if you're looking to hire someone, there's a creative guy for you. Okay. Here is another one. This is kind of a cause and effect, okay? Cause. Tony practices the piano 20 minutes a day. Effect? Yeah, Tony's a big nerd. <laughs> At least that's how I felt when I was that age. Now, I wish I would have practiced the piano like my sisters. I was so consumed with kickball and football and basketball and all those other things. Okay. Now, this next one is a spelling test. Check it out. He missed every word except for one, illiterate. <laughs> and finally this, in one word, describe school. H-E double hockey sticks. <laughs> well, perhaps you feel, <laughs> it's good to come to church and laugh. So many people come to church, it's like some of you are old enough to remember the old hee-haw show, gloom, despair, and agony on me. And yet Jesus is the one who brings the joy to each of us. And it's good to come and laugh because this has been a tough year, as Fitz had mentioned. I mean, we've been through a lot of different things. And over the past couple years, 
with the pandemic and other things. I mean, some would say, yeah, I've journeyed through hell. And maybe over the last couple of days, it's been hell. And you come in here and you're saying, you know, I'm bruised, I'm banged up, I'm wounded, I'm hurt. I need some healing. Can anyone heal me? And this should be a place at its best where the great physician comes alongside of each of us and offers healing and hope in the midst of hell, offers heaven in our spirits. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at the characteristics of a healthy church. That's what we've been doing in this teaching series over the past three weeks so far, now into week four, where we are looking at different parts of the church and what it means to fully live into the church that Jesus created and wants us to be here at Gingsburg. And today's focus is that this should always be a place, let this always be a place where the wounded are healed. Today, I want to look at a very familiar story in the New Testament, a story that many of us have heard of, whether we know the Bible or not. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. We know of the story or have heard that phrase because many hospitals throughout the United States are named after this story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is responding to a religious person who asks the question, now who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story, Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37, if you're following along today on your Bible app or perhaps your New Testament today, Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. And I have just three points today, three simple take-homes, if you will. And the first is that in a very good hospital, in a very good trauma center, in an ER, so to speak, and also in a church, when someone is hurt, when someone comes into the ER, people just swing into action. And it's whoever's on call. Let's look at this story and walk through. Jesus said this, verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place where he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So now you've got the scene. There's a man, it's assumed a Jewish man, he's speaking to a Jewish audience, who's traveling from a holy place, from the capital, from Jerusalem, down to Jericho. It was a descent. It was a downhill journey through the Judean wilderness at the high point of the mountains of Jerusalem, all the way down to the lowest place on earth, the Dead Sea, where Jericho was located. It was known as a windy road, a dangerous road. In fact, in the first century, this road had a reputation. It was called the Bloody Way. People would travel in caravan because it was not safe to travel alone. And yet Jesus talks about a singular man, 
So it seems as if he's traveling alone and he is accosted by robbers along the way. Robbers would hide in the caves along the road and that's why the road got the reputation as it had. And then Jesus said, as this man is lying there in a pool of blood, two men, one at a time, come by. My rescuers are here, perhaps, he thought. One was a priest, we could say a minister, a pastor. Another was a Levite, which would have been a music minister. And I'm sure that these guys were good guys. I mean, most pastors, most ministers, and most min music ministers, right, Chris, are good guys. And yet, when they saw the need, they passed on by. Now, we don't know what they were thinking. Perhaps they were thinking, I've got places to be. I've got people to see. Maybe they said, you know, the crime rate these days in these parts are too bad. Why don't we do something? The government needs to patrol this more. We need more police presence and all that. And perhaps they did need that. Or perhaps they said, you know, we need to make sure that we put this wounded guy, this messed up guy on our prayer list. May the Lord bring someone by to help him. But this is not my day to do it. We don't know what was going through their mind, but they passed on by. Now, Jesus Remember, he's still answering the question, who is my neighbor? He said there was a Samaritan who saw himself as the guy on call in the emergency room. He saw himself as the one, and he just stepped into immediate action. He began to take care of this guy. He began to, to care for him, and he banged him up, and he also took him, we'll see, later to an end. He said, there's a guy in need, and I'm the guy on call, and I need to help this person. Now here's the question. Where in the world did we get the notion there are just a few people on call and the rest of us religious folks or not so religious folks have other things to do? The truth is Jesus said it's a one another thing here. Jesus said you are the light of the world. Somebody asked me not long ago, you're in a new church, Dennis. You're in transition. Don't know much about Gingsburg Church. How many pastors do you have there on staff? I said, I'll run a thousand. Because the truth is that all of us are on call. All of us are part of the body of Christ. All of us are ambassadors to Christ. All of us are people who bear one another's burdens. All of us are in this thing together. Heard an old story of a man who was quite upset at the church staff. That never happens here. But in this church, he couldn't get hold of the senior pastor. He called and left messages and didn't get a return call. And so he finally, a few days later, got a hold of the pastor and said, where have you been? I've needed you. My neighbor was sick and needed someone to pray, and I wanted you to come over and pray for my neighbor, and you didn't come. My neighbor even had to go to the hospital. And I, therefore, had to go, and I had to visit my neighbor in the hospital because we couldn't find you. And then when the neighbor came home, I was the one who brought a dinner. Then he says this. He says, don't you think that the church should care and actually do something for my neighbor? And the pastor looked at the man and said, looks like the church did. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. You are the one who are called. It's a us thing. It's a one another thing. Yes, pastors and people together. 
all of us, at every high school football game, even at Tippecanoe, I'm sure, there's someone who is a master at every play. They never fumble the ball. They never throw an interception. They're the perfect player. But it's so hard for them, it's so hard for them to put down their hot dog, put aside their hot chocolate, and go out of the bleachers and get onto the field. <laughs> but I'm here to say this, Kingsburg Church, that difference makers actually do something. Amen? There comes a time when the analyzing is over, the small group discussions and kitchen cabinets over, where we actually get on the field, where the armchair quarterback is no more, we actually do something. One of the signs of a very healthy church, I believe the model of a New Testament church is that all of us see ourselves as the guy on call. We're run by the great physician, but we're a place of people who've been there who've needed healing and perhaps still do. I said from day one on this stage, nearly four Sundays ago, that this isn't my church. This is Jesus's church. And I'm just a pastor in this church. That's a New Testament function for such a time as this. But this isn't my church. And the truth of the matter is that it's all of us in this together. We have no others but us, gang. And God has called us together for such a time as this. And you need to hear that. Because for the success of us moving forward as a movement to literally be a change agent for Christ in this community, it's going to take all of us. We're not looking for a pastor savior. Let me just tell you something. You've already got a savior. There's only one. And you've already had him. And that's Jesus, right? He's the only one that went on the cross. And we need to hear that because we know, I mean, listen, gang, let's just tell the truth. And praise God that we've had four senior pastors in the past five years. It's not about a senior pastor. It's about us together, focusing on God's word, growing together. And that's what we're going to do. When people, yeah, let's give God some praise. One of the signs of a healthy New Testament church is that when there's a need, we just swing into immediate action. That's the first part. Secondly, in a good emergency room, there's indiscriminate care. It doesn't matter what the person looks like. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter what social standing they're part of. It doesn't matter what job they had. It doesn't matter what school they went to or what educational degrees they can hang on the wall. When a person is hurting, others just see the need, no matter what, and swing into care. This is probably the heart of this Bible teaching that I want you to get. Remember, Jesus is responding again, who is my neighbor? He's speaking to a Jewish audience. And here's what they knew that perhaps we're just learning. That the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. The Samaritans were a despised race. So much that they didn't want anything to do with them. Now Jesus is very clear that this Jewish man is leaving a very holy place. And he is making his way to Jericho. This was a known route for the Jews. Because the Jewish communities outside of Jerusalem 
primarily many people lived in the lower Galilee region. If you look at a Bible map in the back of your Bibles or online, you'll, you'll see the Sea of Galilee. Jesus himself was a Galilean. He was from Nazareth of lower Galilee. Many of the Jews would travel back and forth from Jerusalem to Galilee, and they would go to the villages of Capernaum and Bethsaida and other fishing villages along the sea. But here's the catch. They would not travel the direct route because the shortcut, the direct route, would be to go through the Samaritan Hills right up to Galilee. Look at a map. It'd be like standing here in Tip City today, and I got to get to Piqua this afternoon. The short route is how? To go right up I-75 and be there in 15 to 20 minutes, depending who's driving, right? (laughs) But instead, because they despise the Samaritans, didn't want to rub shoulders with them, they would go down to Jericho, east instead of north, then go north along the Jordan River Valley. They would go the long way around. They would even, get this, risk the bloody way so they wouldn't associate with who? So the Samaritans. We love the people of Troy in here, amen? Anybody from Troy here? But let's say, for instance, there was some race war between the people of Tip and Troy. And so it would be like this. It'd be like, okay, today I'm going to Piqua, and I'm going to go over to West Melton, and then I'm going to cut to Covington, and then I'll cut back 36 and get the pick one. Don't do that, by the way. Just go right up through today. But that's exactly what Jesus was teaching them. Now, it's no surprise of who Jesus makes the hero of this story to a Jewish audience. Did you catch it now? It's the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the neighbor. The Samaritan here is the person that's pointed out. Because in a good ER, indiscriminate care is to anyone who walks through the door. And yet, we say that, but sometimes we think a little differently. Someone comes in, they're banged up, they're bruised, maybe they're struggling with addiction. We might think, well, who are you? Well, what are you doing here? You ain't from around here, are you? Why don't you go to your kind of church? It could be a recovery church. It could be a white church. It could be a black church. It could be a biker church or whatever it might be. You're not from around these parts, are you? That's not the way it is in a New Testament church that sees itself as a trauma center. Whoever's in need, we step in to immediate care. One of the things I love about Gingsburg Church is that we desire, and we're not there yet, but we desire to look more and more like the kingdom of God. That worshiping around the throne, Revelation tells us, will be every tribe and every tongue. In a world, in a community that's still divided by racial strife, Jesus calls us to intentionally break down the walls that separate us to understand one another and to listen one another and to understand culture in which we live and to see each person that comes through these doors as a person created in the image of God, the beloved. Well, let me 
transition here to a story for those who are football fans. For those who are not football fans, um, just bear with me here. Any high State Buckeye fans in the room today? Any Buckeye fans? Next week, that's right. Got any Michigan fans in the room? I got to ask that today. Okay, this is for both of you here today. See, we're an equal opportunity includer and offender in this place. This is right out of the book, if you want to look it up. Steve Greenberg and Dale Ratherman's book entitled, I Remember Woody, Recollections of a Man They Called Coach Hayes. True story. Before coaching at Ohio State University, Woody Hayes was the head coach of the University of Miami of Ohio. In 1950, he led his team to a bowl game called the Salad Bowl. I'm not making that up. That's what it was called. It was held in the old Montgomery Stadium in Phoenix, Arizona. Miami of Ohio was playing Arizona State University. And on their way home, because of weather, they had to make an unscheduled stop in Nashville, Tennessee. This was 1950, before the civil rights movement in the segregated South. And so as the team under Coach Hayes walked in, they wanted to eat in the airport restaurant. The manager was delighted to have a university team there and to serve them, but then he took one look at Boxcar Bailey, the only African-American on the team, and said, that guy's not welcome here. He can't eat here. Well, if you know anything about Coach Hayes, he didn't mix words. He said, well, if Boxcar can't eat here, none of us will eat here. So the manager backed off and he said, I'll tell you what, Boxcar can eat upstairs and the rest of the team can eat in the dining room. Coach Hayes says, oh no, if Boxcar eats upstairs, all of us will eat upstairs. Well, it kind of freaked the manager out because they didn't have enough room upstairs. And so, Coach Hayes knew that his boys need to be fed. And so he took part of the team and he took Boxcar and Boxcar ate with Coach Hayes at his table. And some of them ate upstairs and others ate downstairs. There was a young player on the team, the Miami team, named Bo Schimbuckler. He later went on to coach with Woody at Ohio State University and then later became the well-known, famous coach for the University of Michigan. He said, looking back on that incident on that day, Coach Hayes charmed us all with his love for the team and for people. My friends, true racial healing in America begins with each of us when we undergo a conversion of the heart, when we die to self at the cross. We move from fear to hope, from distancing to embracing. Let this place always be known as a place where we continue to work. We begin to motivate each other towards love and that we break down walls. People are watching all over Miami Valley, Gingsburg. They're watching us. May we model the beloved community 
may we model a better way. And finally this, the last characteristic of a healing sinner, of what we need to live into, is that in an emergency room, there's compassion, true compassion for the sick. Look back with me at verse 34. Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. He put the man on a donkey and walked along beside him until they came to an inn where he nursed him through the night. May we always be a church where people who come into our life groups, people who come into our presence, that we might be healers and we might do it with joy. I want to close today very clearly. Remember, Jesus started this story, this parable, with someone asking, who is my neighbor? And he ends this way, verse 36. Jesus said this, which of these three, meaning the priest, the Levite, the music minister, or the Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? In verse 37, the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go then, Gingsburg, and do likewise. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus. Amen. May we be that kind of place. No matter where they come, no matter who they are, no matter their background, no matter their history, you rewrite it, Lord. I thank you that you write straight using crooked lines. Anyone who would come into this place, and it may be us today, who would say, I'm banged up, I'm bruised. May they find the great physician. May they find this place as a place staffed by people who've been there. May we, that's our prayer, always be a place where the wounded are healed. For we pray this, Lord, and believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.